we know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. All right, well, Clint, we're here to hear your story, man. I want to know where you're from and how long you've been coming to Ascent. Sure, okay. Uh, I guess I've been coming to Ascent almost as long as it's been in existence, maybe yeah. seven years, give or take. Okay, Ascent's yeah. at 10, so you're almost, you're right there, seven yeah. or eight years. Mm -hmm. That's good, man. Yeah, um, my family and I decided to come here because the girls love the youth group, oh, honestly, yeah. That's awesome, man, and, uh, that's awesome. So, Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are you originally from? Uh, originally, I was born and uh, mostly raised in Central Texas. Okay. Um, was there until maybe out of, a little out of college. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was teaching school there uh, around Dallas, and then a couple of decisions I made kind of wrecked my life a little bit. Okay. Happens. Yeah, and, yeah. And um, so the day school was out one year, I was like, I got to get out of here. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes you can heal in the space that you're that you're wounded in, and other times I think you just have to get out of that physical space. And I think God knew that that was a situation for me. So I came up here to Colorado to do some uh, volunteer work for this organization called the Access Fund, and I uh, did that for a little while. And on the last day before I was going to leave. One of the people who worked there said, you got to go check out El Dorado Canyon. I was like, what's that? Yeah. And so they told me how to get there. And so I drove down there and uh, ended up hiking for a, a long time, trying to figure out stuff and just kind of talking to God. And then uh, there's this one rock on this trail. <laughs> and, and I just sat down and the simplest prayer, super short. It was just like, God, I, I know I need to be healed and I, I don't know how. So here I am. Yeah. And that was pretty much the prayer. Wow. Really. And walked down the rest of that trail. And um, at the trailhead, there was this ranger there. And he goes, you're Clint, right? And I was like, yeah. He goes, yeah, we talked at the entrance station. Um, I never do this. And I thought, wow, that's, I don't <laughs> so know where this is Quite the setup, huh? <laughs> I said, what do you never do? <laughs> and he goes, I want to offer you a job just right now. Uh, working for the park. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, seriously? Because I'm just looking around at all this beauty yeah, everywhere, yeah. right? And I said, where do I sign? So <laughs> that's how I got my first job here. And I was like, oh, huh, all my stuff. So I called my, my family. I was like, how expensive is it to ship my life? <laughs> you know, and one thing led to another. I, yeah. uh, I, I went from having no home here and working for you know, El Dorado Canyon, and God did amazing work um, getting me there because I grew up in a, a fairly rigid, conservative church. Mm. And so coming to Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> that's different. Yeah, that's about as far away as you can get. Um, so I, I really, God was not only healing me at the time, but mm. he, he was also helping me redefine my faith and making oh. that faith mine instead mm. of being a coattail, you know, to 
my family's yeah, faith. Yeah, yeah. And you know, thank goodness for families who are of faith. Totally, totally. Right? It's yeah, huge, yeah. huge, man. Mm-hmm. Life is so much better when you're surrounded yeah. by people who, who know and love God. But at some point, your faith has to become your own. Yeah. And you know, God's been a part of my life since I was like six years old when I got you know, accepted Christ or whatever yeah. and, and got baptized. But to some degree, it was always a coattail faith. Man. And then when I moved here to Boulder, I had all sorts of opportunities to really just let go and see what came back. And then uh, let God kind of tell me who he was yeah. without anybody else speaking into that, mm. you know, or pressuring me or anything. Right, right, right. So, you anyway. Know, yeah, well, listen, you know, as I hear some of your story, it not only captures the, you know, you being able to identify God being there and your story being a part of God's story, because sometimes I think that's a hard connection to make. Um, But you also are capturing within your story, which I love, uh, the vulnerability of um, some of the hardship and even the struggle sometimes um, that comes with, um, yeah, God's been there all along, um, but sometimes uh, I'll mess up a plan or sometimes it's just tough um, just navigating on my faith journey, but you made it your own and you allowed God to rebuild your faith uh, on his terms. And I really, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us today. Since, how's everybody doing today? Good, good, yes, okay. Y'all know how we get down. Um, If you are visiting, I know for a fact we have some visitors with us this morning, so I want to say welcome. Um, If I haven't met you or I'm throwing you for a loop because my hair is kind of straightish, but not too much. Uh, My name is Aisha, and I have the privilege of speaking with you all today. And y'all are home, y'all are family, so I just got to throw this out here for really quick for a second. And um, this weekend was my husband and I's first experience uh, with food poisoning. So mm -hmm, y'all be praying for your girl. Uh, I always lean, oh, y'all laughing. It it was a struggle. It was a struggle. But I'm here by God's grace. Um, I'm so thankful for so many people that have been praying for me this morning. And I always lean on the Holy Spirit. But it's like, Holy Spirit, I am banking on you today. So um, I'm excited for where the Lord is going to lead us today. I also want to thank Clint for sharing his story with us. It was really encouraging to see how God brought healing into your life and redefine your faith. I love what you said of like no coattail faith. I appreciate that. And currently we're in this series called Your Story is God's Story. And scripture is filled with stories, but every now and then we need the reminder that our story is God's story. That God is present in our story, in the high moments, in the low moments. And even as Maurice shared last week, God is still writing our story. And as I've been thinking about story, I just started to reflect on my life and my journey and where I am today. And some of you may know this, some of you may not, but I did not plan to be in ministry, did not want to preach, did not want to do all the things that I'm actually doing right now. My number one pursuit was actually acting. 
And one of the things, uh, one of the hurdles when it comes to pursuing acting is figuring out how to get in the union, how to get in the Screen Actors Guild. If you've been following or wondering why your favorite show has not released that new season, it's because we've been on strike. We're finally off strike, so I'm really happy about that. So in my pursuit of this, what people kept telling me is, oh, Aisha, you need to do background work for a show, and that'll help you like, get in the union. So I don't know anything, so I'm like, okay. And I get this opportunity to be a part of this show called Victorious. Didn't even know it was Victorious in the beginning because it was in the pilot stage. And I'm just like looking around, seeing all the lights and everything. And the director tells me, I'm like ready, I'm thinking this is my big break. He's like, all right, when I say action, start to talk. And I'm like, cool, I got that. So I'm sitting here with my fake friend, and this, is, uh, this show's all around like an art high school. The director says, action, and I start talking. And I learned that in acting world, when you are a background artist, <laughs> you don't talk. <laughs> you do something called pantomime. So all the shows that you like and you see those background people and it looks real, they're pantomiming. But no one told me this. So I'm awkwardly like, yes, girl, oh my goodness. And the director's like, cut, who did that? And I'm like, oh, dang, that was me. Nobody called me out. And I quickly learned that as a background artist, there's no place for your voice. And I actually decided to pivot my direction for this week because I believe that there are many people who feel they play a background role in their own story. Their voice doesn't matter. Their experiences, their feelings don't matter. They feel overlooked and forgotten. Maybe you were raised in a certain way in a certain household that caused you to feel like this. Maybe you have a boss that just prefers, you know, you be on mute, just be a yes man, a yes woman. And the question that I want us to sit with this morning is what happens when I feel too insignificant? What happens when I feel too insignificant? And not even just with the people around me, but what happens when I feel too insignificant to God? And if you feel that way, or if you felt that way, I wanna encourage you that you're not alone. There's someone we're gonna look at today who is considered a minor character, a background actor, if you would, to most, but they're actually a main character in God's story, a main character in their own story. So before I say anything else, let's pray. God, I just thank you so much that I'm here this morning. I thank you for every individual under the sound of my voice. Holy Spirit, we wanna hear from you. Um, they don't wanna hear from me, God, they wanna hear from you. So I pray that you would personalize this message to every person under the sound of my voice. Whatever thoughts are lingering, whatever distractions, God, I ask that you would just put them aside so that we can be present and we could lean in your word is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. So Father, speak to us for listening. In Jesus' name, amen. In Genesis 12:1, God calls Abram, who we later know to be Abraham, to leave the place that has been familiar 
and go to a land that God will show him. Very ambiguous. That's my least kind of favorite directions. Yeah, just go over there. I'll, sh- I'll tell you as we go. That's what my husband says sometimes. Like, no, I am a recovering control freak, so I still kind of want to know <laughs> all the things. Um, but he tells Abram to go in Genesis 12, 1. And then in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, he starts to make this promise that he will make Abram into a great nation. And at 75 years old, Abram doesn't have any kids, which is very odd at this time in scripture. But God continues to repeat and expand on this promise in the following chapters, that he's gonna have numerous descendants, although currently he has none. And in Genesis 16, we meet a restless Abram along with his wife, Sarai. And they come up with a plan to help God out. So let's read. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Mm. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Hmm. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Hmm. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Really? Okay, I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Now, this is something many of you probably don't know about me, but in college, my favorite show that I actually built my uh, college schedule around is, uh, it was All My Children. It was a soap opera. I was devastated when they canceled. A lot of people wouldn't think this. Like, I would literally protect that noon time slot because that's what I need to see what's going on with Erica Kane and all the people. And this just sounds like something that I would see on All My Children. It's just perfect. It's just fitting. And y'all... <laughs> I just can't. Nothing about this sounds like a good idea. But this practice of having your servant or slave serve as a second wife, if you are navigating infertility, is not foreign, but it's not to say it's wise or smart. And even as believers and followers of God, they did not consult God regarding their plan. They just did it. And it's easy to talk about them. You know, I made my little... Uh, smirks at Sarah's suggestions. But if we're honest, how many of us do that? How many of us make plans without bringing God into it? How many of us have already planned to do something but didn't invite God into the process? One, because we're tired of waiting. Two, because, hey, God, I prayed about it, but I didn't hear nothing from you. Or three, because, hmm, I still like to be Lord over my own life and do what I like to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. This has nothing to do with my message, but the question that comes to mind for us is what plans are you in the midst of making that you have not brought God into your situation? 
I'm going to park, and then we're going to keep going. So scripture goes on to tell us that Abram, who later, Abraham, is the father of our faith. And Sarai, who God changes her name to Sarah, is the mother of nations. But our focus today is not on them. It's actually on Hagar. And her story is intertwined in their story. And the verses that I just read, doesn't it make it seem like she's a background character? She doesn't have any lines. She doesn't have a voice in the matter. Because Abram and Sarai, they're talking about her. They're not talking to her. They don't ask her how she feels about the situation. And she probably feels like life is just happening to her. So who is Hagar? She's not a woman of influence or power. She's an Egyptian slave. She's not described as a Proverbs 31 woman, a woman of virtue. She's not the common choice for a woman's Bible study. She's not listed in the hallmark of faith in Hebrews 11, like Abram and Sarai. She serves in a state of invisibility and insignificance. She's currently pregnant. She starts to despise Sarai, her mistress. The tension is thick, constant side eyes. And then once Sarai starts to mistreat her, oh, that's the final straw. And if you really think about it, Hagar has some church hurt. Because the only people who knew the living God and should have been examples to her hurt her the most. I think about what Clint said in his story. Sometimes you can heal in the space that you're wounded, and sometimes you just have to get out of there. And Hagar was like, I got to get out of there. So she runs to the wilderness and has an unexpected encounter. Let's keep reading. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur, and he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai said. She answered, then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man and his hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. So this is what the angel has spoken to her. And whenever you see that phrase, an angel of the Lord in scripture, it's speaking to a theophany. And it's a visible manifestation of God to humankind. And the first thing that we can learn from Hagar's story is this. God will meet you right where you are. God will meet you right where you are. And I used to hear the sentiment and think it merely spoke to your internal condition. Or if you're in a season where you can't give God what you desire to give him, it's okay, he'll meet you right where you are. But what I learned from Hagar is that even when we're on the run, God will meet us. Even when we're in a dark place, God will meet us. Even when we're not looking for God, God will meet us. 
Scripture doesn't let us know anything about Hagar's faith, but we do know that she's an Egyptian slave. And what we do know about the Egyptians is that they served many gods, little g. So we don't even know if Hagar was a believer at this point. It doesn't tell us that she was crying out to God. It doesn't say that she was praying to God, God, rescue me, God, speak to me. No, none of that. She was just on the run. And remember, it says the angel of the Lord found her. And if you find something, if you found something, that lets me know that in the first place you were looking for it. You were searching for it. Hagar was running from her circumstances, running from her pain, but she couldn't outrun God's grace. You can't outrun God's grace, God's loving kindness toward her, God's unmerited favor towards her. And then the angel goes on to ask her some questions. So the angel not only addresses her like a human being, an interaction I'm sure she's been longing for, he calls her by her name. And he says, where do you come from and where are you going? And when God asks questions in scripture, it's not for him, God's omniscient, he knows all things. It's for us, it's for us. So she lets him know that she's running away from her mistress, and God says an unlikely thing back to her. He says, go back to your mistress and submit. Now hold on, God, why would she do that? Why would you tell her to go back to the place of her pain, the place of her mistreatment, when you know clearly she's on the run because of it? Have you ever tried to run away from your pain? And God says, uh-uh. I want you to deal with it. Have you ever tried to tap out too soon and God says, uh-uh. I want you to stay right here and address the things that are coming up right now. God tells her a hard thing. Y'all, one of the things I've learned in my faith is God often tells me hard things. He tells me the thing I don't wanna do. Oh, you want me to apologize to this? Oh, you want me to apologize to Maurice first even though he wrong? Mm, why, why? And that's a funny thing, right? But God will tell us a hard thing. God will tell us an uncomfortable thing. Hey, I know you want to leave your job, but I'm telling you right now to stay. Hey, I know you have a boss that, ooh, make you want to uh, speak in unsafe tongues and say some wild things about them. But I actually want you to stay there and be a light and be a witness for me. God tells her a hard thing. And as we continue reading, it tells us why. God says, I'm going to give you a son. You're pregnant. His name is Ishmael. And in Genesis, this promise that the angel of the Lord makes to Sarai, it mirrors the promise that he gave to Abram in Genesis 15, 5. It says this, God takes Abram outside and said, look up to the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. And this is very similar to the promise that he's making to Hagar in this moment. I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too 
numerous to count. Something that I want to point out about the angel's dialogue to her is in verse 11. It says, you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. The Lord has heard of your misery. Lord, you've heard about her misery, although she hasn't brought it to you, although she hasn't prayed about it. God found her, God heard of her misery. And as we think about this description, I wanna read it again for you. So we got the name of her child, but in verse 12 it says, he will be a wild donkey of a man, his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Mm. Does this sound like something encouraging to tell a mother? <laughs> Essentially, the angel is saying, you're gonna have a problem child on your hands. Like she doesn't even get to enjoy, like, oh my gosh, like first, you don't let me name my child, but it's cool, he has a God-given name, I'll take that. But now you're telling me my, my child is gonna be a problem child, he's gonna have hostility. I do not wanna hear that, even if it's true. Can you give me like a good few years first before you drop that bomb on me? And for us, we're like, oh Lord, that is not good news. But I think Hagar's coming from a completely different place. She has been silenced. She has been in a state of bondage and oppression. And when I put myself in Hagar's shoes, I know Hagar don't know nothing about the Avengers, but I kind of feel like God is saying, like, your son's going to be an Avenger. Yeah, he's going to have some battles but he's gonna be independent. He's gonna have a voice. He's gonna fight. He's not just gonna sit back and take it. And when I think about that, it's like, wow. Wow, God, you've, you've heard of the pain and misery that I've endured. And what you're saying is that my child will not be in the same place. Not only my child, it speaks to her descendants. So what God is saying, in your submission, Hagar, ooh, that's another sermon for another time to break down that word. In your submission, Hagar, you will birth freedom, not only for your son, but for your descendants. And because God tells her that, verse 13, she says this, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. This is Hagar's response to God. You are the God who sees me. I have navigated my life feeling unseen, unheard, unloved. And in this moment, you found me and you speak to the very thing that was starting to weigh heavy on my heart. weigh heavy on my spirit. Can y'all do me a favor and just say this out loud? God ain't forgot about you. 
Oh, we're gonna try that one more time. And you gotta say ain't too. I know it ain't proper English, but we're gonna say it. <laughs> we're gonna run that back one more time. God ain't forgot about you. That was a little better. I'll give y'all a pass. It's early, it's early. God values and sees every part of our story. And when other people try to silence us, when we have these thoughts that we battle that say our opinion, our voice, our experience doesn't matter, God says, "Uh uh-uh. I have a purpose for your life, even if no one around you can see it, even if no one around you can speak into it. You are the God who sees me. And the thing about Hagar, again, many would say minor character, background character. She is the only one who gives God a name in scripture. In scripture, we normally see God telling other people his name and who he is. I think of Moses, who who should I say that sent me? Say I am sent you. But this slave girl names God and gives God a name. You are the God who sees me, Elroy. Hmm. I got to go back to that second part. She says, I have now seen the one who sees me. Y'all, no one sees us more clearly than God. We can try to put masks on around our friends, around our spouses, but God sees through that. No one sees us more clearly than he does. Even if there's a part that you want to hide, that you want to suppress, that you're struggling to accept and embrace about yourself or where you find yourself today, God sees it. God is not turned off by it. I can't help but feel like there's someone in the room or maybe someone online that just needed to know that God sees, that God sees them. I don't know what thoughts you've been having this week. I don't know what things that have been spoken over you as a child, but God sees you. There is not one thing that goes amiss to him. Like Hagar, God knows your struggle. He's aware of the fight. He's aware of the strain and tension on your marriage. He's aware of the things that your child is going through that creates this stress and anxiety deep within you. He's aware of the battles you're facing physically when it comes to your health. He's aware of the battles that you are facing mentally in your mind. He knows the mistreatment that you've experienced in your past. And if you don't remember anything else that I say today, I want you to remember this. God sees, God hears, and God cares. God sees, God hears, and God cares. If I could sum up Hagar's story in one sentence, it would be that. He saw her. 
while she was on the run in a dark place, in a low place. He heard her misery and responded to her. He cares. When he tells her to go back and submit to your mistress, he's also telling her that I'm going to be right there with you in that. There's going to be purpose that comes from that. And as I was sitting with this, I was thinking how often we long to be seen by others, to be seen by God. And sometimes if we're honest, being seen can bring up a little fear. Because I know, God, you can see it all. Man looks at the outer appearance, but God, you look at my heart. But if I'm honest, that brings up a little fear for me. Because I don't know if I'm really ready to be seen by you in that way. Am I really ready for what you might expose to me? Am I really ready for the hard truth that you may speak to me? I'm praying about a thing, but God, you may tell me the very opposite. You may tell me the thing that I don't want to hear. So maybe you're like, yeah, Aisha, I hear you but I don't feel like God sees me, and I don't feel like God talks to me, and I don't feel like God hears me. And I'll remind you, even if that's you in this room today, that God holds space for you. You can say all those things, and he is right there, right beside you. You're not alone. There's purpose in your pain. There's purpose in your story. And even if you are not at a place where you can accept that, I just pray that today is a seed of faith that I am sowing into you. That you can come to a place and say, no matter what I experience, no matter what people say, no matter what my thoughts are, you are the God who sees me. When I feel invincible, you are the God who sees me. When I feel insignificant, you are the God who sees me. When I feel like I can't do it anymore, God, you are the God who sees me. That's what I want to speak over you today. God sees you, every part of you. God is with you. And like Hagar, the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for a gentle reminder today that you are the God who sees us. I thank you, God, that even when we don't run to you, even when we don't seek you first, God, you'll meet us where we are. I lift up my brothers and sisters in this room who are wrestling with that truth, who are wrestling with feelings of insignificancy. And God, I just pray that your presence becomes so tangible, even as we worship and sing this next song, oh God. May this revelation empower us to show up differently in every space, in every relationship. Because we know 
that we matter in your eyes, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.